Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here today with Kelly Franco through KFT. It's a date in October with KFT, episode 230 right now. Thank you to our 20,700-plus subscribers. That's without Spotify. We'll get our Spotify numbers tomorrow. I think our subscribers actually double with Spotify, um, but we'll find out for certain then. I uh, just want to thank our 72 countries of faithful listeners for continuing to follow what I ask every week and tune in every week and make sure that we get credit for your listenership because we're bad on those analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. With that, Kelly, welcome back to your show. Uh, it's, you know, your show is every two weeks, just to remind the audience. We were off totally last week, so you're right on schedule with the, the rest of our shows this week. So welcome back. Thanks, Dave. I'm glad to be back, and I can't wait to get those Spotify numbers. Yeah, me too. I uh, I kind of laugh because their world is governed by that, and it's taken them just as long of counting them as it has for us to uh, do a year's worth of podcasts. So um, uh, I'm thank- I'm looking forward to those too. Even if it's one more listener, it's it's we're growing in the right direction. So, but I'm pretty sure it's double. Um, but I'll knock on wood there for that. So with your show today, I know we got the trade deadline looming here, and um, you know, we've got coming off the Hall of Fame weekend, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on with baseball. But we always start your show with top of the first. And, you know, you've got uh, Shohei Otani, uh, I guess a Shohei, Shohei Otani themed topic today. It's not about him per se. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, for our top of the first opener, I thought we would talk a little bit about the forgotten trailblazer, Masanori Murakami, because we've had Ichiro, we have Otani, and who knows who we might have next year, maybe Sasaki. But Masanori Murakami was the first Japanese-born ball player to play in MLB. And one of my Twitter followers, Big Red Ruckus, tipped me off to the story last week, and I thought it was a fantastic story. Yeah, and what did you find so intriguing about, because Kevin and I just did our show, Coaching Kernan, and we talked a lot about Otani. We talked a lot about the grassroots baseball in, in Japan, and then a little bit about Ichiro and just how fundamental their approach is, but... What, what intrigued you the most about this particular story? Well, as you know, I like to look at baseball sometimes through the transactional perspective and a little bit of nostalgia, too. And this story brought them both together. So Masanori Murakami, his nickname was Mashi. He made history when he pitched for the Giants against the Mets in relief at Shea Stadium in 64. He was a talented pitcher. He played in Japan for the Nankai Hawks of the Japanese Pacific League. He came to the States when he was 20, and he was in the Giants minor league system. He was called up on August 30th, 1964, and he pitched the next day against the Mets. He got a standing ovation at Shea, which I thought was really nice. Um, And then the Giants signed him to a contract. He was good. He had eight more outings in 64, and he pitched in 45 games in 65. But his success brought an interesting result. The Nankai Hawks wanted him back, and a contract battle ensued between the Hawks and the Giants. And what I thought was so fascinating about this 
was that Japanese baseball realized that they wanted to protect their game and they didn't want their best players defecting to Major League Baseball. And so we had a situation where Mashi returned to Japan. I read allegedly to get his tonsils out, but he never came back to the Giants. And I don't think there was anything, you know, untoward about him staying there, but I think he did become convinced to stay there and he rejoined the Hawks. Now, here's where the transactional aspect comes in. As a result of this whole hubbub over Mashi, in 1967, the U.S.-Japanese player contract agreement was signed, and that stated that Japanese pro ball players would play in Japan and the American pro ball players would play in the U.S. And there was actually no other Japanese-born ball player that played in the majors until Hideo Nomo signed with the Dodgers in 1995. So there was a 30-year drought of Japanese-born ballplayers in MLB. I, I think their presence now, I'm so glad that there's been that crossover because their presence has definitely enhanced our game. Um, you know, you have Ichiro, you Darvish, you mentioned Nomo. People often forget, um, you know, Hideki Matsui, they, they referred to him as Godzilla over there, and, and he was plugged nice and neat into that Yankee lineup of the late 90s, um, and he's considered one of their greatest power hitters of all time. He came over and hit with power, but uh, what a good average hitter. Well, just so fundamentally sound, um, you know, play the game the right way, durable for the most part, um, and just consistent. And I think that's as much, you know, baseball tends to res- resemble culture and I think what we see in our game today with some of our American players resembles our culture a little bit, um, but the Japanese players have stood the test of time. And I love watching Japanese baseball, whether it's their pro league imports or when they're in the Little League World Series. Their their way of preparation is just amazing. It's a type of play that I'd really like to become more familiar with. And I just thought this story was um, such a nice blend, like I said, of the transactional and the nostalgic aspects of the game. And I thought it was so interesting how Hideo Nomo was able to come over here and play. And I did a video on Mashi Murakami on my Twitter page at Three Inning Fan, which I hope all our listeners will follow along. Uh, But I try to keep my videos very short and I wasn't able to get in this um, fascinating little piece because I like to keep things short, my videos. But Nomo actually kind of fake retired in Japan from baseball and then came over here and played. And that's how we got around this U.S.-Japanese player contract agreement. And then I think Alfonso Soriano did the same thing or some other ball player did the same thing. I thought it was Soriano. And so as a result of this loophole being exploited, the powers that be came together and developed the Japanese posting system, which we do now to allow Japanese players to come over and play MLB. And of course, their teams back in Japan get a financial award when that system is used. Yeah, and then our our NBA does the same thing. They did it with Yao Ming. That was one of the first big signees in the NBA. And what's funny about that is 
when the Houston Rockets got the number one pick that year, I don't think they were aware of the posting system that was going to be imposed upon them, which is basically, I, I don't know what the MLB is, but the NBA is, I believe the club gets 50% of whatever the salary was going to be. So that's, that's an awful lot to pay. That, that guy better be pretty darn good. And Yao Ming was in basketball and Nomo certainly delivered. And I think the, the, the players that have come over here have made our game better. And that's what it's about. Well, that's a pretty big hit to not be aware of ahead of time. So it's yeah, right. like somebody may have, pardon the bad pun, but dropped the ball there. And the way it works with the Japanese posting system is it's a sliding scale based on the size of the contract that the player signs here. And I did also do a video on the Japanese posting system on at three inning fan. Um, but this system has been good because it's worked. Yeah, I, I like it too. I, I think it's uh, the game is global. Um, you know, I think every every league has its place and respect uh, in the world, and I'm glad we're getting some of those those good talented players. And I guess transactions. It's a nice segue into the meat and potatoes part of your segment where we're going to discuss trade deadline today, and we're not going to do it in the uh, in the uh, I guess the sense that the the pundits in the newspaper articles do, where they go down every single team and tell you what they need and what they want who's there and, and who's you know who's going to go and who's not going to go more more or less rumor um you, you've got a unique approach you're going to take to it and a lot of teams this year that if you asked me at the beginning of the year i would not have guessed would have been buyers this year orioles being number one on my list yeah i um and thank you for that nice introduction we do have all the talking heads and they are um you know none, make, of, them, none um, of them have any idea really right. they have no clue who's going where they have sources, Dave. They've got sources. Don't forget. All right. Right. <laughs> um, but it is a fascinating time of year because the draft is behind us and the all-star breaks behind us. And so the next stop is the trade deadline. And I think we are going to have a seller's market here, meaning that if you want one of these, especially starting pitchers that's out there, you're going to have to pony up. Um we have a situation now where we have a total of 12 teams that get into the playoffs. We have the expanded playoffs. And so nothing happens in a vacuum. That expanded playoff situation has repercussions for the trade deadline because more teams think they can make it into the playoffs. There's a bigger gray area. I mean, last year we saw the Phillies with 87 wins in the regular season win the pennant. And make it to the World Series. And this year, all the other teams are saying, hey, if the Phillies did it last year, we can do it too. Yeah, there's, it's as Brian Cashman calls it, which I, I laugh when he says it because he calls it a tournament now instead of the playoffs. I wish he would stop calling it the tournament. That's for NCAA college basketball. But there's, when I, when I looked at the list, you know, you text me, we text back and forth and prep for the show. And, if you asked me at the beginning of the year, I would have flip-flopped that list in buyers and sellers. You got teams like, you know, and I'll let you kind of go through your list. But I guess before we do it, we don't want to get into who's going where. What are some big names out there? You mentioned some pitching the pony up for. Who are who are some of the pitchers you think? And I, I've got a couple on my mind, too, that I, I certainly would love to see some teams go after. Yeah, there are a couple of teams that really have the pitchers for sale. And, you know, as a fan, 
my desire is always to see a blockbuster. You want to log on to Twitter and you want to be like, oh my God, you know, Otani got traded or the Mets traded Verlander or Scherzer or the, the Padres traded Juan Soto. Those are the fun trades. I actually don't think we're going to have any of those this year. I mean, we talked about Otani last uh, episode. I don't think he's going to get traded. Um, there's a slim chance. Obviously, he could. But if I had to guess, I don't think he does. So I think we're looking at um, trades that are tremors and not earthquakes. But for the um, pitchers out there, I think it's the White Sox, really, that have a wealth of pitching that is going to be very desirable. And let's face it, the White Sox have had a tough season. So I would put them in the category of definite sellers. And they've got two um, very marketable pitchers that are both free agents at the end of the season. That's Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn. And, you know, I always like to include casual fans who might be listening in and might not know about the advantage of getting a player who's a free agent at the end of the season. So I'll just expound upon that for a second. When a team trades for a player that's going to be a free agent in just a few months, it's colloquially called a rental um, because you only have the player for a few months. And in theory, you're giving up less for him than you would be giving up if you were getting him for a period of years. Yeah. And I, I don't mind those. I'm, I'm like you. I'm again, I wear a lot of hats when I watch. Sometimes I watch it as a former professional player, sometimes as a former coach. Um, sometimes I watch it as a dad. I, I really rarely watch it as a fan, but I do agree with what you said. I, I love pulling on and seeing that blockbuster. That does excite me. So I guess that classifies as my fan itch that I look for. Um, the, uh, the, the White Sox baffle me. I can't believe how bad they are this year. I thought they would be one, on one of the teams on the upside looking to buy. But what um, the Cardinals, you know, they've got a guy like Shane Bieber. That's He's on the injured list now. He's going to be coming back, I think, 10 days. To me, that's, again, not – what did you call it? It's not an earthquake, but it's, it's – to me, that's kind of in between an earthquake and a tremor. Not a sexy name out there. He's not a showy Otani. But uh, he's been a front-line starter for the last five years, 200-plus innings. Um I mean, is he someone that could change the landscape for a team like the Yankees, who seem to be happy being two games out of the wild card race right now, um, which they shouldn't be, or the Mets? You sent me to Google on this, Dave, because I I defer to you at every turn. I got to tell you, but Shane is with the Guardians. Oh, the Guardians. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they are in the miserable AL Central. And so I think that, you know, they – are saying that Shane Bieber isn't going to be traded, but who knows? Um, right now, I think he's out with elbow inflammation, but yes. hopefully we'll be throwing again soon. And the Cardinals, that you're right, though, they do have pitchers to deal. They have Jordan Montgomery, who they got from the Yankees last year in the trade. And Yankee fans are still stinging from this. I mean, they got Harrison Bader last year, and he is a tremendously talented uh, center fielder. But Jordan Montgomery was a homegrown lefty starter for the Yankees, and the fans had a hard time seeing him go. Um, So the Cardinals could trade him. He is also a rental. He's a free agent after this year. And I had a funny little idea because, you know, you talk about things going flip-flop. 
we all thought that the Red Sox were going to have an awful year. And I can't say the Red Sox are awesome, but let me tell you, they're in contention. And I was thinking that if they wanted to make a move, it would be a great way to stick it to the Yankees if they got Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, and it's amazing with Kevin and I were talking about this in our last show. People talk about you know being able to play in New York and not producing. But it's funny how recently guys that leave New York all of a sudden start getting better, Montgomery being one, Araldis Chapman in Texas being another one, wondering what goes on with the Yankees and their their internal instruction that, that allows for guys to grow because they leave. Um, Cardinals are disappointing uh, this year. They're, you know, they're, they've been a staple in MLB for, for decades. They've been the model of consistency always in the playoffs. So sad to see them down, but they, they do have, they always have good pitching. Um, you know, I'd like to see them stand pat, but I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think they'll probably be sellers with some of those pitchers as well. I think that the Cardinals are not, at least if you believe they're um, the president of baseball operations, John Moseliak, if you believe them, they're not doing a full-scale revamp. They have good bones. So I think they're just looking at rebuilding for the short-term future for 2024. They say they're not dealing Arenado. Um, I think if they did, you know, if they dealt him, that would be a sign that they were doing a full-scale rebuild. Yeah. But they say they're going to keep some of their bigger bones. Um, Jack Flaherty's another right-handed pitcher um, that they could get rid of. So I think they're going to do like a minor redo for the Cardinals. Yeah, they've been a big disappointment. And yeah. you mentioned Araldis Chapman. Um, he has recently been acquired by the Rangers. Yeah. And let me tell you, the Rangers look really good. Um, I've never, I'm not an Araldis Chapman fan. Um, but I think that that was a major upgrade to their bullpen. And I think that, you know, you'd mentioned the White Sox a minute ago. They also have a reliever, Kendall Graveman, and he is a right-handed pitcher that I think would fit in really nicely with the Rangers. And if they do that, maybe a starter to replace DeGrom. Um, hats off to Bruce Bochy and Chris Young. They have done a great job with that team. They've never won a World Series. And could it be the year? It just might be. Yeah. I, I, I love Chris Young as a GM, too. He, he, you never hear about him. He's behind the scenes. And Bochy is just – he just – Gets it done old school. He did it with San Francisco. He'll do it again with Texas. What did they have? Seven All Stars this year. I know. I think I know they had five starters in the All Star yeah. game. Was, uh, uh, and they probably had a few more on the bench. And I'm a Bochi fan too. And it's a little known fact that I am actually a Francophile, um, and he's French. So just another reason to like him. Nice. Yep. He's a big wine connoisseur too, Bruce Bochi. We're we're going to have him on the show once the season's over. Um, he's agreed to come on. You have some other interesting buyers here. And here's one that I don't know how much more they can buy, but I'm going to toss it at you. The Padres, like they, they, they if, if nobody's proven that they're willing to buy, I mean, the Padres have been it. The Padres, I have flipped back and forth on this. They're five and a half out of the wild card now. You know, Dave, there are some teams that honestly, I think their GMs must spend the next week hoping that they either win every game or lose every game. So they just have a clear idea of what they want to do. 
the Padres are kind of one of those. They seem to have too much talent in the lineup to be sellers, but they haven't been great this season. I mean, they're not out of it, but they haven't been great. They got Soto, they got Machado, they got Tatis, they got Bogarts. They have good starters. They have Josh Hader as a closer. If they were going to buy, they could go for a middle reliever. Um, They need some tweaks and they need their stars to play like stars. But if all of a sudden things go south over the next week, it, I mean, it could raise heck in the trade deadline market. You know, people could go. Soto could go. Snell, Hayter, Seth Hugo, all these guys um, could go. Snell, Hayter, and Hugo are free agents after this season. So, you know, if the Padres did give up on 2023, it would be interesting. You mentioned a minute ago uh, the Orioles, and I got to tell you, I am so excited about this team. They had a great weekend series against the Rays, took three out of four. They're in first place. And it's funny because I thought they were buyers. And the more I look at them, the more I think they're just perfect. This team is having a moment. Have you been watching these guys at all? Nice I, I, team. Yeah, I love watching the Orioles. I love watching the Rays play. And you have two of those. Those are two teams on your buyers list that small market teams don't spend a lot of money, uh, have been about developing players, which is nice to see. And two of my favorite guys to watch, uh, probably because I'm biased, I'm a former switch batter, Adley Rutschman, the catcher, and, and Wander Franco, the shortstop for the for the. Uh, you know, for uh, the, the Rays. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, but yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed watching play. It's, it's young players playing hard, um, pitchers throwing strikes. Uh, and again, they, people, it's not too long ago. They, they were bottom of the league. So they, they have a whole bunch of young talent. Um, they, they got rewarded for, for losing miserably for about eight to nine years. So I'm glad the proud city of Baltimore has finally got winners back in the dugout. Well, it's been an interesting path because, yes, there have been many, many miserable years, as you pointed out, and they lost some big stars there. And their fans have been very patient. Well, maybe they haven't been patient. Maybe they're totally wounded and feel like they deserve this. But, you know, last year they dealt Jorge Lopez to the Twins and Trey Mancini to the Astros. And a few years back, they traded Manny Machado. And I felt bad for the fans. but. Their GM, Mike Elias, said, you know, just hang tight, hang tight. We're young. We're going to grow. Wait for the young talent. And he was right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're stacked with young talent that a lot of times young talent can't produce. And I've always been a proponent of give me the guy that's done it already before the young guy that hasn't. But this young team, and I, I give a lot of credit to Rutschman as the catcher, the leader, uh, really, in that, that young clubhouse. I was concerned when Trey Mancini left because of his, the way he – is kind was kind of the glue. I'd love to see them if they do make a run. I know he's you know, you know, with with a contender though. But if they did make a run, I boy, I'd love to see them bring him, try to bring him back and be a part of that. Yeah, they're going to be really fun to watch. And they just acquired a reliever from Oakland uh, this month, Shintaro Fujinami. And I think that you know they have a quality closer in uh, Felix Bautista. And their setup guy is that Yenier, Yenier Cano. And so I think now their bullpen's pretty strong. And, you know, maybe they'll pick up a rental at the trade deadline, but I think they're really looking pretty good. Yeah, I'd love to see them just 
run the course as well. I know I mentioned bringing back Trey, but they've they've stuck to this. Hey, we're going to draft, we're going to develop, we're going to progress. I love to see the finished product of just the progressing part because there is a good chance they're going to make the playoffs with the the you know how I think pretty much every you know half the league makes it for the most part. But uh, right. it'd be nice to see that young crop get a taste of it without adding that little kicker to it. Uh, to skew the process. So I'm all for the development. I'm, I'm happy they've developed too. I grew up a, an Orioles fan. So oh, is that um, right? back, back in the Cal Ripken days, I grew up loving Cal and um, you know, we have Cal's Cal's former minor league roommate, Will George is one of our co-hosts on the show. So of course, uh, no I'm way. Little, that is a and, wild connection. And Mark Wiley was an Oriole too at a time. So a lot of, a lot of uh, the Oriole way was how they did it. It was old school. Kind of like we talked about Bruce Bochy instituted by, you know, Cal Ripken Sr. in the minors. He was a great minor league instructor, but uh, had, had a couple couple decent kids play the game too. But uh, well, who else you got I, I, in your list of buyers and sellers? Who else do you want to touch on? Well, I just want to talk about the Reds because who doesn't want to talk about the Reds? They're so much fun to watch right now. And I think we would all like to see Ellie De La Cruz in the postseason. Would you? Oh my God! Yeah, I, I. What was the one day he it was like uh, Little League Baseball stole second, third, stole home? And, I was uh, dying. I couldn't believe it. I watched it so many times, and I don't know if it was the woman in me or what. But when he, my favorite part of it, I don't know if you remember it, but he was leading off third base, and he just so casually took off his helmet and fixed his hair and then put his helmet back on, and then he ran and stole home. I loved it. He deked him a little bit. Yeah. He, uh, he's an exciting town, big guy too. I mean, you're talking six, 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 seven, um, a lot like the O'Neill, O'Neill Cruz with, uh, Pittsburgh, same type. I of know. Thing. And we lost him this season. I don't know if he's going to be back at all this year. Is he? I don't think he is, but, uh, crew, uh, but, uh, the, the young kid from the Reds came on just in time. He's, he's exciting. He plays with energy. He's not, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's exciting, but not flamboyant. And, he doesn't show anybody up, but the, I think the Reds need that. Cincinnati's a baseball town. Not like I said, Baltimore. It's We, we need the Reds to be good, um, flat out. And then uh, I think baseball's better when Cincinnati's good. And again, that's that's dating me because I grew up at the tail end of those 70s Reds. Big Reds. Uh, yep. And uh, always loved the history of, of Johnny Bench and Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Concepcion, Griffey Sr. I mean, uh, Tom Seaver comes through there during his time. Yep. So yeah, I, I, I love the uh, the Reds' history as well. So I'm glad they're good. I'm glad they're good. And then Sean Pender, a good, good friend of mine, he was actually my college coach's coach. He's the minor league coordinator for the Reds. So I always root for the Reds because Sean's there too. You know, I think they have the, the power, the speed, the versatility, and the excitement. But I think their starting rotation could use an upgrade. It's been a patchwork this season. They're two best starters or who were supposed to be their best starters, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo are on the IL. And I didn't know if they might be looking at uh, Michael Lorenzen of the Tigers. We didn't get to talk about the Tigers that much, but they do have pitchers to deal. They've got Eduardo Rodriguez um, and this guy, Michael Lorenzen, who's a rental. And I think that he could be a good fit for the Reds. And it's my understanding that they've got a deep farm system with good prospects. So they should be able to get someone. 
Yeah, I, I, that would be a nice tribute to the town to say, hey, we're we're going to make a run at this because they did struggle last year. Um, they've got good young crop uh, up the middle and on the corners. And I'd like to see Joey Votto go out a winner. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you? You know, it's so endearing when players want to spend their career with one team. Yeah, uh, it doesn't happen. It's uh, either by choice of the player or by choice of the club. It's just not the way of the world anymore. So I, I'm a little old fashioned like that, like you are, where I, I get excited by the movement. I enjoy that. I won't lie. But I tend to cling to the guys that stick with one team for a while. I, I can relate to that. Indeed, indeed. And of course, you know, we can't not talk about the Mets because everything with the Mets is interesting because Steve Cohen has so much money. Oh my um, God. He, he, to me, he, he annoys the heck out of me sometimes though. I'll tell you, I wish he'd just keep quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people agree with you. And of course the whole buildup to this season with luxury taxes, they were pushing a half a billion dollars by the time they paid their payroll and paid their luxury taxes. Um, and it hasn't worked out so far, although they haven't played terribly since the all-star break. So they need to think about what they're going to do. And for as much as Steve Cohen doesn't mind spending money, he is also a businessman and I don't think he wants to waste money. He has said, he said in that mid-season press conference that he did that, um, the level of spending was not sustainable. So I think he's going to be taking a deep look and you have to wonder if they dangle Verlander or Scherzer. I don't think so. If I were a betting girl, I'd say they don't. But at the same time, they could get some young arms in return, which they desperately want and they don't have much of if they could get rid of Verlander or Scherzer. I think Cohen would have to eat some of the money that's due to them. First of all, they both have no trade clauses, so they yeah. don't save them. So they'd obviously only want to go to a contender. And they're both owed $43 million for 2024. They're yeah. each owed $43 million for next year, and that is not going to be appealing to a buyer. We remember when they were on the same staff with the Tigers in their prime way back right. when. That yeah. was a staff in, the, in their late 20s. I, I tend to think, you know, billionaires have egos. I'm not a billionaire. I'll admit that on the air. Not even close. And um, I'm shocked, Dave. <laughs> the, uh, I think he has ego, and I, I can't imagine him pulling back. I, I bet he doubles down on this because if you think, to me, if, if they're healthy, obviously, but if you get to the playoffs with Verlander and Scherzer, really the model in the playoffs is you got to have two bulldogs at the front and a, and a really good third guy. If you have, a, if you have three good pitchers, you're tough in the playoff, three good starters, I should say that that'll roll you through the playoffs. It's designed for that. It's not the five man rotation. Yeah. I could see them going out and I mean, if they grabbed a guy like a Shane Bieber and he said, you know what, I'm, I already owe 20 billion in luxury taxes. I'm going to just pay a little bit more Bieber. If healthy could be another guy for them um, that could give him that third starter. Who's really a number one or one of the Cardinals Flaherty would be a great pickup. Yes. Yeah, he would. Who, who else do you want to touch on? Say again. Who else do you want to touch on? You had a you had a pretty good list. I mean, you, you didn't miss anything with the list with the buyers and the sellers. Who else intrigues you? You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Yankees do. I know they have their eye on Cody Bellinger. So it's nice to have a left-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium because it's a house that Ruth built, and you got the short porch. Um, 
although I guess it's a couple of generations away from the actual house that Ruth built now. Um, but, you know, the Cubs are going to be interesting. Are the Cubs buyers or sellers? And they're one of the teams I go back and forth on. So they have Bellinger and they have Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Um, it will be an attractive arm if they want to deal him. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think about the Cubs? You think they're selling? I think, I, I think the Cubs are the, the teeter. I like that when you put it in there. You said you weren't sure. I think Bellinger is a, is a prime, great comeback year. He he was two years ago, three years ago, had a great, great year. Last two years changed his swing um, into one of those launch angle swings, struggled mightily, reinvented himself back to what worked. Now he's back playing Cody Bellinger baseball. And uh, I think he'd be a great pickup for the Yankees. That left-handed bat, he's got speed. He's a gold glove defender at first and in, out in the outfield. And God knows their outfield can't stay healthy. And uh, not like a, like you said, a lefty bat. The Yankees baffle me because you you should you want to line up lefty pitchers to keep them away from that short porch and right and the opponents, and you want to line your lineup with lefty hitters to take advantage of them. They do just the opposite with their roster construction. So I think Bellinger would be great for the Yankees. I don't know what you do with Bader. I like his energy. I like he's a spark plug, but he's always injured. Um, I, I credit the weight room to that with him. And mm. uh, I, I like Bellinger. Bellinger could be a cornerstone for a long time because he's still a young kid. I think he's 26, 27 years old. And his dad was a Yankee, if you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're wise to bring up Bader because Bellinger, although he does have some versatility with the first base option, he is a center fielder. And Harrison Bader is a center fielder. Um, so somebody's going to have to move, but yeah, the Yankees need outfield help. It's been terrible. Although I have to credit these, um, some of the baby Yankees they've bought up Bowers and McKinney are doing a good job of filling in. I love McKinney. <clears throat> he, uh, he was a budding star a few years back. And if, if your people remember, he had a awful leg injury where he broke his leg. Um, and I think it was a play in the outfield. And he was the next rising star and he had to really go back down and work his way back up. And he actually, I think was with another club prior. I think he got rule five, if I remember right, but boy, what I love his game. I love him. I, ho- I hope he stays up. Even if he's a fourth outfield, he's got speed. He defends, puts the bat on the ball. That's all I want to see. He's I didn't a realize he was a rule five guy. That's fascinating. I got to look into that. I'm, I'm guessing I, I could be wrong. You could, you could get me on two Google searches in one show. That would be a two strikes. <laughs> but um, I know he was he 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 departed the Yankees, whether they released him or not, or Rule Five. He was with another club earlier this year, even, and uh, Yanks picked him back up, which I'm glad they did. Tremendous, tremendous talent, um, without question. But um, you got these low market clubs, the Marlins and the Rays, that always seem to be in the hunt. Do um, you see them as buyers based on your list? I do. Yeah. The Rays, you know, when you mentioned them at the beginning and I kind of wanted to circle back, so I'm glad you brought them up again. Um, Hey, they have been a great surprise and they know how to make a trade. So, you know, when the Rays come calling, you better uh, beware, make sure you've done your homework. I think that they could have their eye on this Paul Blackburn of Oakland. He's a righty pitcher. They could use a starter, I think. They have had a good rotation when healthy with McClanahan, Glasnow, and Eflin. Um, I love those guys. Say again? I love those guys. That's a great front line when they're healthy. Yeah, yeah. But they've lost Drew Rasmussen for the year. Um, 
Shane Baz and Jeffrey Springs were also out for the year. So I think that a new starter would help them overcome those rotation setbacks. They could look at Paul Blackburn or one of these guys that um, the White Sox or the Tigers have around, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease. So there are options there. And the Marlins, um, they're a game out of the wild card, I think, or thereabouts. And I think that they could use, interestingly, an impact bat. I mean, they have Arise and they have Jorge Soler, but they actually don't score a lot of runs. So I think that would be a coup if they could add a bat. I think um, the Cardinals are not selling Paul Goldschmidt, but if they no. were, that would that would be great uh, for them. And I'd like to see them do well because I want to see Kim Ang do well. Yeah, no, and I I want to see him do well too. I think it's uh, I think he had a great list. I like the approach to it, and I'm going to put you on the spot now before we get into our favorite segment, which what, what you eat. But um, give me one prediction, one team, one player, one prediction that's going to move that you see out there. I know we don't, we don't want to be pundits like some of these others. And this is purely our speculation. We don't have insiders telling us. So from your perspective, give me give me one prediction. Um, I'm going to say that the Tigers and White Sox get rid of all these pitchers that they have on the market and that they go for a full-scale rebuild, I think these poor Tigers fans, they have just, you know, they need to be fired up. They need something to be excited about. So I think that with Eduardo Rodriguez and Michael Lorenzen out there to be dealt, they need to deal these guys, get some young talent, and move forward. I mean, maybe they also move their uh, relievers, Jason Shreve and Joseph Nero, Maybe they get rid of Javi Baez. He's got a huge contract, but they got to do something there. That's a good franchise. They've had good ownership over the years, although it's my understanding now that ownership are good people. But I think the Illich family, maybe it is. Maybe they also own the Red Wings and um, the fans feel like maybe the assets are spread a little thin. So I'd like to see them engage in a full-scale rebuild. Yeah, they've got some good young talent, too. Torkelson's a heck of a first baseman for them, was a former number one draft pick. And not that this matters or anything, but the, the Tigers happen to be my favorite hat in Major League Baseball. I love that old school script D. It's the only MLB hat I have. I do have a Tampa hat, too, because I like, I like to follow Tampa Bay. I love the way they approach the game and whatnot. So someone bought me an old uh, old school tiger sack because I love the D on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I wish I wish they get their stuff together. They've got a lot of good young talent, uh, similar to Baltimore. They're they're on the same trajectory. They just haven't delivered like Baltimore has. So well, we get to our closer now. Um, you know what to eat while watching a ball game. What do you got in store for us this week? Well, Dave, I think it's time for the humble yet delicious corn on the cob because it's the season of corn on the cob and you can steam it. You can grill it. You can, if you, you know, you're old and you wear dentures, you can cut it off the cob and saute it in butter. I like mine with butter and salt, but you can also sprinkle some cotija cheese on there and do it like the Mexican street corn. One of my personal favorite ways to do it 
is to completely douse it in Frank's Red Hot and eat it off the cob until my lips are flaming red and burning. Um, and it's important to remember that some foods require us to get dirty to enjoy them. And that's 100% fine. And that's what the corn on the cob is. And I might add that importantly, shucking the corn is a perfect job for a husband, which mine does every time. So hats off to him. Nice. I'm, I'm big into gender equity, so I don't mind spreading that to the women as well out there. That <laughs> want to share um, no, that's, that's great. I, I, my kids love it. I, they brought me back into it because I think they liked it for the sport of it. And uh, our youngest daughter watched, our two daughters watched Bugs Bunny eat it on a cartoon, how he eats it like a typewriter. And so they tend to go at it like that. So with our corn on the cob, it's either outside or there's a big, uh, some sort of paint rug underneath the kids when they're eating it because it gets all over the place. But uh, great. But good show. We'll have you back in two weeks. We'll be into August at that time. And um, I'm sure you enjoyed the Hall of Fame induction. Two great guys, McGriff and Roland, got into it, had wonderful speeches. And uh, I think our audience got a great tease into the trade deadline. So we'll have to stay on that. I encourage everybody. Kelly, remind them where to find you on Twitter because I'm sure you're going to be and on Facebook and Instagram because you're going to be chronicling the trade deadline, I'm sure, as it goes. Sure will. Yes, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at at three inning fan three is all spelled out and today i released a video on a anniversary of the angriest ball player i've ever seen watching a game and we can probably guess what it is but we're not going to give it away because we want people to go watch the video on twitter That's, yeah make sure you follow kelly franco through kft on the uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and support her and her videos are wonderful. They lead into some of our shows here. We'll be back with, with, with a date in October with KFT in two weeks. We go every two weeks and we appreciate the support with the show. Um, you know, 20,700 plus subscribers, 72 countries. We'll get our other numbers in tomorrow from Spotify, but we appreciate our audience's support. We'll keep bringing you great content and Kelly, thanks so much for a great show. Thank you, Dave, and thanks to all our listeners. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Episode 240 here in the books. <laughs>